Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects of Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us again. Today is episode number nine, and we're going to be covering the Kabbalah and Freemasonry. We have a great guest on today for an interview, and that is Brother Greg Kaminsky of the Occult of Personalities podcast. Great show, and if you haven't checked that out before, you don't know who he is, you are really going to enjoy today's show. This guy has a wealth of knowledge and will just blow you away with what he brings to the table. So we will get to that. It's going to be wonderful, but hold on just a second. What's going on? Chaos. Is Alex wearing a t-shirt on historical light? Oh my gosh! Maybe you guys don't care. I'm sure you don't. But my father-in-law, however, is making those exact noises right now. So Angelo, I'm sorry. It's one show. It's one for a good reason. Now what is this t-shirt, guys? This is the official t-shirt of Masonicon 2017, which I was fortunate enough to fly out to Attleboro, Massachusetts last week and attend. So we're also, after our interview today, we're going to be doing kind of a debriefing of how that event went and what I thought of it and kind of everything I got to do while I was there. It was a great time, so we'll discuss that farther. For now, today's show is sponsored by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. If you guys haven't checked them out before, please do so. They are a great company putting out some wonderful quality product materials. Uh, they got bow ties, neckties, lapel pins, and so much more. So if you want to attend Lodge or your next event in style, please go to MasonicRevival.com. And don't forget to use our promo code. It's all caps, HLIGHT, and you will get free shipping on your entire order. It's an offer you can't beat, so definitely do that today. MasonicRevival.com. So, Let's jump into the episode as we always do. Let's check in with our friends over at MasonryToday.com and see what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic history, we celebrate the birthday of Donald J. Rickles. Don Rickles is an actor and a comedian. He was born in the borough of Queens in New York City, New York, and he graduated from Newton High School. After graduating, uh, he enlisted in the United States Navy during World War II and served on the USS Cyrene honorably discharged in 1946. Then in 1948, Rickles attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and began playing bit parts on television. Unhappy with the acting jobs that were coming his way, Rickles turned to stand-up comedy. He'd perform in nightclubs in New York, Miami, and Los Angeles. He became an insult comic for the responses he would throw to hecklers. The insults that he hurled were better received than some of his material, so he actually incorporated those into his act. In the early 1950s in Miami Beach, Rickles was working in a nightclub known as Murray Franklin's. Rickles spotted Frank Sinatra in the crowd and he told Sinatra, I saw your movie, The Pride and Passion, and I want to tell you the canon's acting was great. 
Rickles would add, make yourself at home, Frank, hit nobody. Sinatra found Rickles hysterical and encouraged other celebrities to go see him and be insulted. Sinatra, who called Rickles bullet head, actually helped him become a headline performer in Las Vegas. Later on, the two of them would perform at the inauguration of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. Throughout the rest of the 50s and 60s, Rickles would appear in a variety of films, both dramatic and comedy. He'd appear in beach party films. His agent was married to Annette Fuencello. In 1965, Rickles began appearing in The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and in the 70s would begin substituting for Johnny Carson, leading to one of the most famous pieces from The Tonight Show history. Throughout Rickles' career, which uh, includes present day, he has worked on many films and television shows. He has made appearances on such classic television shows as Munsters, Gilligan's Island, uh, Get Smart, and I Dream of Jeannie. Younger audiences might know Rickles' work as being the voice of Mr. Potato Head from the Pixar movies Toy Story, Toy Story 2, and Toy Story 3. On Rickles' brand of comedy, Jay Leno once asked him if he was ever afraid that he might become too offensive. In reply to that, Rickles said, You know, every night when I go out on stage, there's always that one nagging fear in the back of my mind. I'm always afraid that someone out there is going to be one person in the audience that is not going to be offended. Rickles is a member of Service City Gable Lodge number 1009 in Astoria, New York. Well, thank you again to our friends over at masonrytoday.com for another great article. Um, definitely check them out at their website and find them on social media as well. You can follow them there to keep up with the great daily posts that they put out on Masonic History. Now, moving forward, you guys know I don't typically cover current news on Historical Light. Um, we try to keep everything of a historical nature, obviously. Um, with that said, after I got back from my trip last week, my phone was blowing up from you brothers. And I sincerely appreciate you guys keeping me up on the current events. Um, so we had a bit of unfortunate news here in Kansas. Uh, there was a member of the Salina Masonic Temple uh, who was put in as treasurer. And uh, he has been arrested and charged for embezzling over $150,000 out of their temple foundation. Um, not going to go deep into the story because that's just not what we cover here, um, but I do want to acknowledge it. Um, it is a sad day in Kansas masonry and masonry as a whole. Um, a friend of mine put it very well that this happens in all organizations out there, but it's not supposed to happen in ours. So it, it makes it that much worse. You know, it's more hard hitting um, that somebody we call a brother would do an act like this to, to hurt the craft as a whole. So. It is a sad day. If you guys want to keep up with this story or find out more information, I would highly suggest that you check out Brother Hodap's blog over at freemasonryfordummies.com. Uh, he always does a great job at keeping very current on these uh, issues as they progress through. Um, so definitely check that out there, and I'll provide a link in the, uh, in the comments below so you guys can find that. But definitely is unfortunate. So moving on to that, or from that, we're going to get in some more positive news. Um, yesterday... Gardner here in Kansas had a citywide garage sale. So of course me, my wife and two daughters went out and explored the whole city, try to see what we could find. Uh, found a whole bunch of great deals. Within that, we hit up an estate sale and going through, we found this treasure, this porcelain figurine of brother George Washington in his Masonic regalia. Now this was awesome to me because I've never seen one in person before. I've seen them on the internet and they're outrageously priced. Um, this one I got a, a rather good deal on, but it, it blew me away that I've never seen one before 
and I find one at a garage sale right here in Kansas. So I couldn't resist. I did pick it up. Um, doing some research, well, my wife actually doing some research online, found out that there's actually supposed to be a Benjamin Franklin piece that goes with this to make it a set. So now that I got Brother George Washington that will be sitting on my shelf back there in my personal collection, if any of you guys know where I can find a Benjamin Franklin piece to go with it, for a fair price of course, um, please let me know because I got one, now I have to have the other, right? So that's a pretty cool piece. Um, within that, the guy that I was talking to that was leading the estate sale there, I found out that he is actually the son of a member of my lodge that recently passed away, Brother Shippy. Um, so being that, he donated another piece that was for sale. Um, this dog, let's see if I can get a close look there, um, is actually a trinket from the George Washington Memorial in Washington, D.C., uh, he donated this to the lodge, so this will actually be going in Gardner Lodge with a nice little card below said donated by Brother Shippy. So thank you for that if you're watching. Um, two amazing pieces. Obviously, the George Washington will be right back there for me to uh, enjoy and you guys to enjoy if you see him on the show. And this one, if you ever visit Gardner Lodge, you will find this in our display case donated by the late Brother Shippy. So two awesome pieces there. I wanted to kind of throw that in as a... Um, getting it back onto a positive note. I'm really happy I found those. Um, but with that said, actually, no, not with that said, I want to cover one more thing. And I'm going to have to, uh, I think, put pictures in because the glare is not going to show the items well. Now, when I first transferred to Gardner Lodge, in the dining hall, there was these two, uh, two frames with documents in them. And they're just very black. Can't read them. And everyone's, you know, first uh, think or thought on it was, man, they're just really old. They're eaten up by the sun, and they're old, and you just can't read them anymore. So they got taken down, uh, especially after we we painted the dining hall. They got taken down, put in a back room, and they've been sitting on a shelf for about a year now. Well, I was in there uh, going through some books and stuff, trying to get our library put together in the back room, and I, I came across these sitting on the shelf. And I said, man, what are these? You know, they're, they're so dark, you just can't read them. So I actually took them out, got them in the sunlight, and I could see they were copies of the U.S. Constitution. And the closer I looked at them, I'm like, wow, these look like they've been through a fire. So I had my wife take a look at them. We looked at them under the sunlight really close. I'm like, yeah, this, this is not age. Uh, the way the paper is... Uh, you know, very uh, crackly in parts and just deformed in the darkness. It is easily to tell it, it's been put through a fire. Gardner Lodge in 1906 burned down and was rebuilt in the same location. The original building was a wood structure and is now a, a, a brick structure. But it is my belief that these two documents I have sitting here went through the fire. And either they were saved, because I know the... Uh, the secretary at the time ran into the building and saved our, our minute books and our registers and stuff. And that's all that made it through. Um, all the regalia and everything burned in the fire, as far as we were told. But it's my belief, seeing these documents now, and you know, I need to do some farther research on them, but I believe these two documents were saved from the fire. Maybe not during the flame, as they look you know, pretty eaten up by smoke and stuff, but maybe they were all that survived on the wall after the fires were put out. But if that's the, the case, man, it's a shame that we've had these sitting on a shelf for a year now. And that's the type of thing that I've been trying to tell the brothers for so long is all of us and all of our lodges have this stuff sitting on the shelf collecting dust. We walk by it weekly. 
and we don't know the story behind it. See, it's, it's our responsibility, brothers, to bring that history back to life, to preserve it, to honor it, and to share it, right? So kind of sad of me being the history guy of all that, you know, had this sitting on my shelf for a year now and just been walking by it. I even knew it was there, just didn't know what it was. I didn't take that second glance to actually figure out what it was. You know, if no one could read this, why was it hanging on the wall? Unfortunately, it's been hanging there so long, nobody knew why it was on the wall or actually what it was. It was just an old picture. But there's research to be done, right? And we all need to do that. We owe it to our craft, to our brothers, to all the, the brothers before us of these, these temples we belong to. You know, we got to preserve that history, honor it, and share it. So, you know, I'll, I'll put in some pictures of these so you guys can see them closer, but a, a great treasure to find. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can find some more information about it. And if it is true that these are preserved from the fire, which I believe them to be, man, they need to get off that shelf and displayed, right? And very much taken care of because they you just can't replace that. That's this one of a kind. So just wanted to share that with you guys. And on that note, with no further ado, we're going to jump into today's interview. So I hope you enjoy. It's going to be with Brother Greg Kaminsky of the Occult of Personalities podcast. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light. Tonight we are very pleased to have with us Brother Greg Kaminsky. Uh, he is the host of the Occult and Personalities podcast that you uh, may be uh, familiar with. Uh, Brother Greg, if you don't mind, I'll hand it over to you. If you can go ahead and farther introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, thank you Alex. It's really a pleasure to be on Historical Light. Thank you for the invitation. So again, my name is Greg Kaminsky. I'm a brother at uh, St. John's Lodge in Boston. I'm also a member of the York and Scottish Rites. Um, I've been interested in Freemasonry for a long time, but I finally uh, joined in 2009 and was raised in 2010. And uh, it's been quite an interesting and enjoyable journey, learning more about the craft, the history, the symbolism, and uh, what a rich tradition it is. Definitely. Uh, there's so much there that really uh, acts as a hook. Once you get inside the door, you you immediately find something that you can delve into, and uh, it really meets the uh, the minds of many people in that way. Now, what is it that actually got you interested in Freemasonry in the first part? What is it that made you make that leap? Well, I've been interested in different aspects of esotericism, you know, everything from symbolism to... Uh, tarot to uh, ceremonial magic and um, many other sorts of of what might be considered fringe topics but um, a lot of the people that I connected with as a result of these interests were Freemasons and over time uh, I developed more of an interest in this other tradition that they were all a part of so I would ask them questions and eventually I asked you know what is what do I need to do to to join the fraternity and that was when you know everything started to open up because as you know you can't invite someone to join they have to ask on their own of their own free will and accord so once I did that uh, it became much clearer to me the connections between all of these other esoteric traditions and Freemasonry, which in many ways I, I see as a, a living 
repository for the ancient wisdom traditions in the modern age. And it, it was really through that lens of being familiar with uh, things like tarot and ceremonial magic and Kabbalah, which we're going to talk more about tonight, that once I joined the fraternity, I saw so many connections that were absolutely right in my face that uh, it was it was a very pleasant experience because I felt like I had arrived somewhere that I already was familiar with in many ways. But yet, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, Freemasonry uh, transcends all of these other traditions because it it can encompass them but yet um, it does so in its own unique way so it's a very special thing that um, I, I value quite a bit sure I, I totally agree now it sounds like are you the first Freemason to be in your family or do you have family history going back in Freemasonry as far as I'm aware I'm the first Freemason in my family yeah that's awesome that's awesome you know a lot of guys when I talk about that they almost seem uh, down in a manner if I'm the, I'm the first Freemason in my family. But I think that's amazing because uh, you're possibly starting a tradition there. You're, uh, you're finding something that then you can uh, spread on, spread that light on to the, uh, to the next generation. So that's, that's wonderful. I'm really glad you made that leap and found that connection within the fraternity that linked in with so many other of your interests. Now, as you said, we are going to be uh, delving a little deeper into uh, the Kabbalah tonight. And I know you're a, a great source of wisdom on that subject. Now, I know most of our viewers are going to have a general understanding of, you know, basically what the Kabbalah is or have heard of it at least before. Um, but just uh, assuming that people don't know anything, what is the Kabbalah and how, do, how does it relate in Freemasonry? Okay, so that's a great question. So let me go into a little bit of an explanation about what it is and what it entails, and then we can sort of dovetail that into Freemasonry a little yeah. bit. Definitely. So Kabbalah or Kabbalah, however you want to say it, um, it's a Hebrew word and it means reception. And it's a tradition that's primarily oral, so received from mouth to ear. So that's the kind of reception we're talking about in one sense. And Kabbalah can be seen as a like a historical example of a larger phenomena of religious esotericism. So things like Gnosticism or Neoplatonism or Hermeticism or these are all similar traditions um, that are sort of encompassed inside of a larger religious tradition. So Kabbalah is the esoteric aspect of Judaism. Um, it probably began sometime between the first and the fourth centuries um, of the Common Era or AD, but it publicly emerged in southern Europe around the 11th or 12th century. Um, it's concerned with the cosmos, the origin of humanity, and how these two are related. Um, and because of a variety of circumstances, the Kabbalah, once it became public, um, became attractive to certain Christian philosophers and intellectuals. 
And once they learned it and became familiar with its doctrines, they discovered or were introduced to ideas that they thought reinforced the veracity or the, the truthfulness of Christianity as, as they knew it. So there were many different things that they found in Kabbal the Kabbalah that basically told them that, that Christianity is real, that Christ was the Messiah, you know, all of these sorts of things. So they really took the ball and, and ran with it. But um, to better define it, um, there's a quote from a scholar named Hartley Lochter that kind of goes into a very accurate but somewhat brief explanation. He writes that, according to Kabbalistic tradition, the transcendent divine essence, which is known as Ein Sof, which means the endless, or Ayin, the no thing, created the cosmos through a process of emanation in which a series of ten spherot or luminosities or spheres mediate the continuum of being that connects the physical universe to God. And according to this model, these sephirot or spheres are described with uh, paradoxical and apophatic language like um, the ten that are simultaneously one and infinite. Um, and the, so these spheres channel the divine shefa or overflow into the world, sustaining the fabric of being and bringing blessing to humanity. Now there's a their aspect to this because um, the Jewish people have been dispersed from their promised land and in exile, diaspora sort of situation for many, many centuries. And because of this exile, um, as well as the history of Jewish violation of conventional law, the interconnections between these sephirot according to Kabbalists, are damaged. And the lowest sephira, the Shekinah, known as Malkut, the, the kingdom, um, which has this as like a divine feminine presence, accompanies the Israelites in their exile and shares and embodies their longing for reintegration into the Godhead. So the Kabbalists claim that their esoteric teachings concern theosophy enable Jews to repair the damage to these spherot by means of performance of Jewish law and ritual, as well as the study of Jewish texts through a Kabbalistic lens. So the Kabbalah is really a claim to secret knowledge that presents a bold and forceful reformulation of Judaism as the mechanism whereby the very being of the cosmos is maintained. So that's really the, the sort of brief overview of what it is and what it entails um, from a high level. Um, so it's, it is very ancient and are very arcane. And again, it's primarily an oral tradition. Just like masonry, it requires initiation. Um, it's mainly accessible only to religious Jews because you need to know Hebrew, you need to know the Torah and the Talmud. And it's a lifetime study, just like Freemasonry. So 
I'm I, I am thrilled to be able to give people an introduction to this, but at the same time, everyone listening should understand that there's no way you're going to walk away from hearing this tonight with a really solid grounding or understanding of the Kabbalah or how it works or all of the different aspects or um, different keys to really get into it. Um, but we can examine it and we can look at the history of it and the, some of the doctrines and philosophies that it espouses and and the intersections, I guess, with with Masonic craft um, and symbolism, which are striking in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah, it, it does seem like uh, on a lot of levels, uh, Freemasonry and Kabbalah do uh, share some uh, commonalities within uh, its, its views and everything. Like, uh, you know, this way you said it was only top mouth to ear and, you know, Freemasonry largely was top mouth to ear. So it seems like a lot of the traditions uh, do coincide there. That's kind of interesting. Um, kind of jumping back, though, for people that get scared away of occult studies and everything, um, you know, some of these wordings people may not understand and may not take the time to delve into. So what does Kabbalah um, really uh, look at when it comes to a uh, source of deity? Um, because I know when I've talked to people in the past and Kabbalah will come up, they see it as, you know, evil, a source of evil or witchcraft study or, you know, so with a negative connotation. Um, how would you explain it to people totally on an outside perspective of how it connects in um, being as, you know, coming from a, a Judaic uh, background and kind of delving in Christianity as well? That's a good question. Uh, it's a really good question. And my answer may surprise you a little bit. Um, I see it as uh, very pure and a tradition that would allow someone who studied and practiced it to better know themselves, better know the world, and thereby better understand what divinity is and how to approach what you might call union with the divine if sure. someone is, is so inclined. So from that perspective, it's completely pure. Um, however, um, just like any powerful um, philosophical religious tradition, um, there are dangers involved. Um, the main one being ego inflation. So when someone has an experience of, or a whiff, if you will, of divine union or what that entails, um, sometimes it can cause ego inflation and there have been at least two famous examples of Kabbalistic movements in the past that completely got derailed. Um, so I can talk in detail about that, but there are many Jews who uh, consider the Kabbalah to be something that only fools would involve themselves with. Really? Yeah. And... Um, it's often uh, discouraged for people to look into this or study it or practice it um, because of this very reason. Because in the past, you'd have movements where um, leaders of, of Kabbalistic groups to develop a wide following. Um, they proclaim themselves to be the Messiah. And 
they you know their followers will sell all their worldly goods and prepare for you know union with god and both times this happened historically uh not only did the leaders of these movements but their followers ended up converting to in one case islam and in the other case catholicism so for religious jews the kabbalah is you know seen as like a two-sided thing it's you know it can be positive for some but for others they don't want anything to do with it because of the historical nature of of the problems that have arisen so i can understand when people see it in a negative light um there's also the idea that these christian intellectuals and philosophers who ended up appropriating and adapting the kabbalah um publicly bows an idea of conversion of jews so there's this other aspect to it where you have modern western esotericism or occultism is completely based on christian kabbalah and therefore there's a, that's another aspect that um some people find to be negative um i don't myself because i actually believe that these philosophers and intellectuals were really attempting to unite these religions and philosophies um but not everyone sees it that way so sure. it is a double edged sword for sure well you know in a lot of ways like we learn within the, the teachings of freemasonry you have your your light and darkness aspect within everything your yin yang positive and negative um so i mean i i can totally see uh, how it can go both ways there um but you know as as i tell a lot of people they get really freaked out anytime you mention uh, studies of the occult you know you look back into history reading mathematics all that stuff was considered a cult you know a cult is just the uh, the unknown to the you know the common uh, individual uh, it's a, right. a knowledge base out there that you know you shouldn't entirely be scared from but yes there is a uh, good and evil wherever you look um now how, were you involved with uh kabbalah before you got into freemasonry i know you said you had a lot of other uh, avenues you'd always delved into yes i was very much interested in it um growing up uh i i was raised uh, as jewish and i can remember in hebrew school um our teacher telling us you know the study of the kabbalah was forbidden and as soon as i heard that i was like oh boy what is this i got to learn more about it yeah. you know i was i was i think like 11 or 12 years old so at that point you know when you tell an 11-year-old boy that there's something that he's not allowed to do you know of course the my yeah. senses were peaked you immediately so, know what you're doing after school that day <laughs> right right so but i i wasn't intellectually developed enough to even understand anything about it at that point it wasn't until probably in my early 30s that i started actually trying to learn more about it and it is very deep deep study and um it's very arcane and i mean it the traditionally you have to imagine like small groups of men like huddled around ancient texts and by candlelight like trying to figure out the secrets of the universe so that's kind of the the model that the uh, 
fostered its development. And um, you mentioned this idea of occult, this uh, what's hidden, and that's a huge aspect to Kabbalism is this idea of secrecy and revelation. Um, so this 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 aspect is multidimensional. One of the ways you could look at it is the secrets of nature are hidden, but they're revealed to the wise. So that's one way. But there's also other ways, like. You know, these studies are kept secret. Um, they're only given to people who are initiated into the tradition. They're only given orally. The things that are written are only keys to sort of like aid memoir. Remind people of the full knowledge that they already have received orally. So a lot of the, the books, um, you, you can't just read them and understand fully what they're trying because there's so much behind the scenes and and that's really the hidden aspect to this tradition and this this idea of secrecy and revelation was really adapt adopted by uh christians and is you know become the foundation of of western occult movements and esotericism in the west generally definitely now, getting into uh, the study of Kabbalah and mixing it with Freemasonry, um, do you think, you know, obviously Kabbalah has been around for forever. This Freemasonry goes back farther than any of us truly know. Um, do you think that had any uh, workings in the uh, bringing on of Freemasonry, or where do they really start to collide, or is it just because there's so much uh, similar teachings there? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's not really totally clear there's a lot of different ways you could kind of analyze this this idea um way i like to do it is look at um the history and some of the philosophies involved and what were the the people who we know at the forefront of developing speculative freemasonry we know that they were interested in this subject because at that that time in Europe, uh, Kabbalism was much, much more popular than it is today. All of the leading minds of the time were acquainted with these ideas, and many of them studied them, had Kabbalistic books, and promoted these ideas as well. So um, there's a big influence, and um, there's a lot of similarities that you can observe between Kabbalah and Freemasonry is what I would call coming from a sort of similar esoteric current. Um, so, for example, um, both Kabbalah and Freemasonry claim heritage to the ancient wisdom of Israel, but each tradition considers that heritage to be superficially different, though it is not really at all, in my opinion. Um, both Kabbalah and Freemasonry have this philosophy of improving, improving the world through improvement of the individual. Uh, both employ Hebrew words, including letter and word manipulations. Um, in Freemasonry, you have the three pillars, other iterations of the number three, and the geometry of triangles of various types. The same in Kabbalah. Um, in Freemasonry, you have trestle boards, 
And in the Kabbalah, you have metaphysical diagramming like the Tree of Life. Um, Kabbalah and Freemasonry both involve secrecy, initiation, and oaths. And both of them are concerned with religious texts and, and ideas, but not formal religious theology or practice. And they both share a, an emphasis on the symbolism of light, which is very heavy in both. And both the Kabbalah and Freemasonry have sort of progressive ideas. And you have to understand that uh, because the Kabbalah was an esoteric tradition developed by a people in exile, it generally is not really, it doesn't really recognize authority in the same way. It's almost like an anti-traditional tradition in a lot of ways. And you can kind of see that in Freemasonry, not so much today, but when it was, you know, in the in the 18th century, when speculative Freemasonry sort of emerged publicly, um, it was progressive at the time. So you had a lot of philosophical ideas that were sort of indifferent to authority and tradition in that way, where you could see like, Freemasonry was um, somewhat indifferent to the idea of social structure and class, at least at the Blue Lodge level. Um, it had ambivalent ideas towards uh, the Roman Catholic Church in the same way that um, Kabbalah had sort of ambivalency towards religious authority because the individual had the ability, if they were uh, pious enough and did the work to affect union with the divine all by themselves and you didn't need any kind of intermediary. So um, there's a lot of, of similarities. So again, both Kabbalah and Freemasonry can, are concerned with creation. So Kabbalah more with creation of the cosmos, the first man, and Freemasonry is obviously concerned with the creation of the Temple of Solomon primarily, or the temple not made with hands, as it were. Ultimately, these are kind of the same things once you dig below the surface. Um, both traditions are interested in geometry as the key to describing the creation of the cosmos and the signature of the divine or the great architect. Um, both Freemasonry and Kabbalism introduce innovation under the guise of ancient tradition. You know, we can see this in Anderson's Constitutions, and you can see this in, in Kabbalistic texts. Um, Zohar, in particular, is, is a good example of this, where um, ideas that are actually innovative um, are introduced as very ancient. Um, and both have a sort of what I would call a concordance with other ancient wisdom traditions like Gnosticism, Neoplatonism, Hermetism, you know, the ancient mysteries of Egypt, Persia, and Greece. Um, both traditions have uh, an eye towards uh, the 
idea of social reform or making the world better in some ways. And both Freemasonry and Kabbalism have earned derision and hatred from fundamentalists and conspiracy theorists. So as I mentioned, there was these scandals in Kabbalah. Um, one was uh, a man named Shabbatai Tzvi in the 17th century uh, in the Ottoman Empire. He claimed to be the Messiah, but then the Sultan forced him to convert to Islam under the threat of death, which he did because as a Kabbalist, um, he saw exoteric religion as just uh, like clothing that you could take off and put on a different suit. It didn't really change who he was or what he believed in. And then you had a man named Jacob Frank in 18th century Poland. He was involved with uh, sexual mysticism. He also claimed to be the Messiah. And he and his followers were uh, converted to Catholicism. And much of the, the nobility in Poland actually descends from his followers. And in Freemasonry, you have many different examples, but the two that really stand out are the Morgan Affair, which I think most people are familiar with, the disappearance and suspected murder of Masonic revealer William Morgan, and the anti-Masonic party, which subsequently developed the third largest political party in the United States, even to this day, even though it no longer exists. And more recently, you had the P2 Lodge in Italy, which was involved in embezzling money from the Vatican Bank and, I would say, you know, alleged underworld connections, which I think, you know, certainly bear out. So there are certainly examples in, in each of these traditions that are less than positive. And that doesn't detract from the purity of either tradition. It just illustrates what we were discussing before that, you know, when you have so much light, there are shadows cast. Most definitely. And I, you know, I think a great way to look at that is a lot of these teachings from traditions are beyond us and beyond our really our human understanding and capabilities. And when you do involve humans into that, you're going to have bad eggs, so to speak. Um, you, you can't expect to have, you know, perfect traction down the road when humans are involved It's just not going to happen there. But with with the uh, the meaning behind both traditions, uh, both observances being, you know, that of mainly a positive, really, um, you know, they, they follow a pretty close parallel down the path. Do you see uh, the study of Kabbalah aiding you now in your uh, your studies and uh, path in Freemasonry? Or is it more of a separate um, a separate uh, attraction for you? But it's really hard to separate, you know, in I mean, I can try to divide it in my mind. Um, you know, once you learn something and you have knowledge of something, it's hard not to make comparisons and see things through certain lenses. Um, I think that's just the nature of mind. Um, you know, lately, a lot of what I've been studying in terms of Kabbalah is uh, directly related to an, an author and artist named David Chaim Smith and, and uh, I was fortunate that he asked me to help edit his upcoming book which is entitled Deep Principles of Kabbalistic Alchemy and 
his book is really amazing, and um, he has developed a symbol system and uses Kabbalistic language and teachings in order to illustrate these ideas. And it's really uh, mystical and is really concerned with enlightenment, just like Freemasonry is, just like more traditional Kabbalism is. So for me, um, I can't truly separate these things. Um, you know, of course, when I'm in Lodge, I'm, I'm focused on Masonry and the Masonic tradition, and I'm not thinking about, well, how does this relate to Kabbalah? But um, what happens is um, when you study these things over time, they you develop sort of what I would call like a feeling tones. Uh, it gives you certain feelings. Um, you know, it, that may be a feeling of openness or a feeling of brightness. Um, and Freemasonry does the exact same thing. Um, they both have this uh, transmission of ancient wisdom. They may do it with different symbols and different language, but the the message that they're conveying is really the exact same message that if you are able to develop your mind intellectually and better understand who you are and the world and how the you and the world relate, you can then understand better what the great architect is or what the divine is in a, in a much more philosophical, intellectual way. And, and by doing that, you actually are able to, you know, have much more of a devotion to creation and the creator, if I might be so bold. And that would also allow you to better act in the world. And, and these things are, are almost universal to all esoteric systems of mysticism that are endeavoring to help an individual to sort of come to grips with the, their mind and try to, you know, chisel away the, all of the rough edges to create that smooth ashlar that better fits in to the temple not made with hands so yeah for me it's it's really difficult to to separate these traditions because at, at the root they're so similar and what they're trying to do and what they're conveying is so similar it's really the outward appearance the language and the symbolism that's different um and i'm at a place in my life at this point where um once you once i've learned the sort of outer symbolism um the inner is is all the same you know what it does for me as a person uh, is the same thing. It's reinforcing all of the same ideas and philosophies and, and what I need to do to, to progress along the path. Sure. Now, 
with, with Kabbalah and Freemasonry, uh, kind of going through Freemasonry, we get in this uh, this really uh, track, so to speak, where we're seeking more light, more light, more light, and you know, it's, it's a hard progress to stop there. Um, for those that are interested in more light, um, do you would you recommend Kabbalah? Would you tell a brother that this is a great source to uh, to also delve into? And if so, what is a good way for a brother to actually uh, to start the learning process of Kabbalah? I know you know historically it's you know top mouth to ear, but in today's day and age, most people not having the access to you know a true Kabbalah uh, Kabbalah teacher. Um, how would you uh, recommend that they get studied in, started in these studies? Well, there's there's two things that I recommend, and they're, you know, they outwardly they might seem divergent, but really they're not. So one is um, the writings of a philosopher from the Renaissance named Giovanni Pico della Mirandola, and he was actually what I would consider the godfather of Christian Kabbalism. He was the one who learned the Kabbalah first. Uh, before any other Christian philosopher and publicly proclaimed its superiority to all other wisdom traditions. He actually saw it as the root of all other wisdom traditions. Now we know today that's that's not accurate, but at the time the, in the Renaissance, people really weren't aware of that fact. So they, they saw Moses as sort of the forerunner of all the mystery traditions, you know, including Egypt, Greece, and Persia. You know, again, we know that's that's not historically accurate, but at the time, that's that was their impression. And he wrote an oration. It's entitled "Oration on the Dignity of Man," which was titled by his uh, nephew, I believe, after he died or was murdered, I should say. And um, this oration was written as part of his apology to the church and the public because he had published um, a book, a text called 900 Thesis that he intended to debate or dispute at the Vatican in front of the Pope and all the church fathers against anyone who would debate with him about it. And some of the things he claimed was that Kabbalah was the only way to really know that Christianity was true. Now, of course, the, his text was banned. Um, any copies of it that the authorities found, they destroyed. Um, Pico, as I call him, was uh, excommunicated, and he had to go, he had to flee. But uh, Cosmo de' Medici of Florence sort of uh, stood up for him and said, you know, I will take him under my wing if you will allow me to. And the church basically did allow him to do that um, with the provision that he no longer publicly espoused these ideas. So he found other ways um, to, to let people know about without being quite so overt. But this book, Oration on the Dignity of Man, is, uh, is really a beautiful philosophical exposition about how humans have the ability to rise to the level of angels or even higher 
simply by using their minds, their intellectual faculties. Um, and, and he talked about the way to do this was to emulate the angels, specifically the cherubim, because they were the, in, the angel angelic order associated with the mind and intelligence more than other angelic orders. So Pico said that if, if we could emulate the cherubim, we would learn philosophy to better understand ourselves and the world and how those two relate. We could then more fully love and have devotion for the divine and you know which is like the seraphim and then we could also have better discernment and judgment in worldly affairs similar to the angelic order known as the thrones so he had this sort of philosophical approach and but he emphasized uh, throughout his text that the kabbalah was the fount of all wisdom. And as far as he was concerned, it was the root by which uh, the, all wisdom that he obtained sort of grew out of. And so I think studying that oration, which is not a relatively short piece of writing, um, can introduce people to the historical origins of Kabbalism once it's was adapted from the Jewish tradition, which does make it more accessible to people because, you know, at that point it's fully public and um, even though there are many, many arcane and secret aspects, um, he's, he's putting forth the ideas that are like at the very heart of this tradition, you know, which is basically that um, you have to use the mind in order to tame and eventually subdue the mind. And so that, that would be one avenue that people could take to better familiarize themselves with this tradition. The other is, again, David Chaim Smith's upcoming book, Deep Principles of Kabbalistic Alchemy, because if, if someone's interested in the subject, if they appreciate symbolism and metaphor, and mysticism, they're going to love this book because it is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and he's very precise with his language and his illustrations, and there's some beautiful artwork included that is just outstanding. I did an interview with him on a Cult of Personality podcast in January where he was just discussing the book and I'd urge people to listen to it if they're interested because um, there's very few other people you can hear who have such a strong grasp on mysticism, what it means, what gnosis is, how an individual can begin to appreciate gnosis and thereby sort of begin to move towards it if they're so inclined. Uh, it's really a phenomenal book. I, I hope it's going to be out soon. I know he's talking with uh, the publisher now, so um, I expect it will be available this year. That's wonderful. And we'll make sure to uh, put links uh, on the uh, page and everything when this, when this video comes out so everyone's able to find that material easily. Um, 
delving into all this, first of all, I want to thank you so much for, for bringing this, uh, this knowledge to the show here today. I think it's brought in a lot of enlightenment to people that are interested in the subject. Um, seeing the two traditions as uh, such a source of continued light, um, I, I think uh, the Kabbalah is a, a great source to, uh, to look into for all the uh, Masons out there that are interested. Uh, it has a lot of uh, positive attributes to go along with it, and I would highly encourage everybody to, uh, to familiarize themselves uh, to a degree with it. Definitely take the, take the time to delve into it. Now, I would ask you before we wrap up here, um, I had found, and this may have nothing to do, but I thought you'd be a perfect guy to ask. I'd found an old cipher on eBay a while back, and I actually talked a little bit with uh, Brother uh, Robert Johnson from the Wins Came You podcast, and he'd actually gone in to try to uh, decipher it a little bit. But the cipher is titled uh, Kabbalah, or Kabbalist, one of the two, The Rites and Ceremonies of the Kabbalist. And it's a Freemasonic cipher, and for those that are a Freemason, you can read a fair amount of it, but then there's a lot of other stuff in there. Have you ever heard of this cipher before, or this group? No, it's new, new to me. I have not heard of it before. See, I'd, I'd heard two different sides of it, one being that um, possibly, you know, back in the day when ciphers were totally banned, um, that some people would uh, write them up in this manner where they're slightly different and couldn't get in trouble for it being a Masonic cipher, saying it's a different group. Um, but with it being, uh, you know, so many commonalities between Freemasonry and Kabbalah, I didn't know if there was possibly a group out there that did at one time exist. I was always interested to see if there's any more information there. Well, I know in Pike's Morals and Dogma, um, particularly in uh, Night of the Sun, I think, he talks a lot about um, Kabbalah, and there's a lot of concepts in there that are very much drawn straight out of Kabbalism. Um, and I think it, it, in one section of the book, he actually has a lecture of the Kabbalists that sort of goes through the ten spheres on the Tree of Life and different attributes. And sort of like uh, attributes of number as well. Um, but I, you know, it's been a while since I read that, so I, I'd have to refresh my memory. But it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if it was derivative of that sure. in some way. Well, that would, uh, um, that would be highly interesting to find out more of that. Hopefully one day I will. Um, it looks like these books were published in the early 1900s by a company in New York, and really besides that, I'm unable to find anything farther, so... It's one of the yeah. uh, many Masonic mysteries out there that we're sure. here to, uh, to discover fully. But, Brother Greg, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show tonight and uh, bringing all this knowledge with you. It was a delight having you on and having all this presented to us. Now, before we go, I want to give you a chance. Would you like to plug your show? Uh, I, for the, I know a lot of brothers are already uh, introduced to it, but for those that don't, tell us a little bit about what your show's about. Sure, it's a cult of personality at a cult of personality.net. It's a podcast. Um, I also want to mention my co-host uh, Rudolph, um, who's going to be starting his own podcast shortly called Thoth Hermes. Um, but uh, a cult of personality generally, we have all sorts of experts from different esoteric traditions talking about um, whatever subject is dear to their heart. Um, whether it's Kabbalah or alchemy or tarot or ceremonial magic or Freemasonry in, in many cases. Um, so there's a lot of variety there for people to find and listen to. We try to get some of the best in the field 
to come on and, and discuss their work. Uh, we recently had an interview with uh, Frater Ashin Jassan, and he's uh, he's a ceremonial magician, probably one of the the greatest living in in the world at the moment. And uh, he has a book called uh, "Through Gates of Light and Shadow," where he details his angelic evocations and and other spiritual entities that he has evoked and um he records you know many amazing teachings from these spiritual beings that are simply mind-blowing because well they're angels or spirits or, or what have you that um and you know for anyone who's concerned that this might be a negative it is definitely not um these are all very positive teachings and and life lessons that that these beings have brought forth and um this is just one example of of the type of thing that i like to promote uh through a cult of personality podcast um, there's also a membership section for people who want more and it helps support the show so if people are interested i would urge them to check it out and subscribe and and sign up for the membership section because um there we have hundreds of hours of, of interviews and uh, a lot of content available f to help people learn about esotericism, mysticism, and how it can they can apply it to their own life. Definitely. So well, I really appreciate this opportunity, Alex. You know, it's really great. Um, I'm very appreciative of uh, being on your show. If anyone has questions for me, please don't hesitate to get in touch uh, via my website or Facebook. Or, and uh, you know, there's a, probably uh, an hour or two more that I could discuss about Kabbalism, including like key concepts, the Tree of Life, um, different aspects of four worlds, levels of consciousness, how Gamatria works. But you know, I think this is a good introduction for people. And um, again, thank you so much. No, thank you. Uh, I want to say I've actually uh, been a fan of your show for quite some time. So it's a uh, it's an honor having you on. Deeply humbled to have you on as a guest and have you bring this wealth of knowledge to uh, to this show and really uh, bring another level of the history of our craft and connection uh, within it as well. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and being our guest today. Um, we'll have your links on the side as well, and I urge everybody to definitely go check out the Occult Personality Podcast. Um, as you've seen tonight, there's much more. Um, knowledge and history and everything to come within that podcast as well. So definitely check it out. And brother, thank you again for coming on tonight and we'll see you soon. Thank you, brother. It's an honor. Appreciate it. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode just as much as I did. Uh, brother Greg Kaminsky, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today and taking time out of your busy schedule to do so. Uh, this guy is an amazing source of information, especially on this topic. I actually got to meet him out at Masonic Con. He was one of the guest lecturers there on this topic even, and I just blew it away. So thank you again, and uh, definitely check out the links below so you can check his show out, and that is the Occult of Personalities podcast. It's got a ton of episodes, so you'll definitely spend some time getting caught up on that if you're not always privy or not already privy to his works. Um, now within this, we had him on today to kind of cover the Kabbalah and Freemasonry from that of a New Age Christian perspective. Um, so we're working on a part two to this. Um, we should get a record here soon and we'll get you guys more information on that as it comes. Um, but we have a friend of mine who is a rabbi and who was, uh, you know, 
a studier of the Kabbalah and a teacher of the Kabbalah. He actually teaches a course on it and has actually been in the Kabbalistic tradition for some time. So we're going to have him and Brother Kaminsky back on and on the same episode. So this episode, we get to see Freemasonry Kabbalah from a Christian perspective. We're going to get the rabbi on to explain the Kabbalah from the original, its roots, the Judaic perspective. And we're going to have Brother Kaminsky on to ask those hard-hitting questions so we can connect the dots all the way through and hopefully bring you guys a stellar episode. So I'm really looking forward to that. I hope you guys are as well. So stay tuned. We'll get you more information as it comes. And I hope to get that recorded here soon and released out to you guys. All right, so let's do a debriefing of Masonicon 2017. I mean, it, it was it was an amazing event. Like, how else do I put it? It was the first time I'd had the uh, chance to go out. I know this is their second year doing it, but they just they did a superb job all the way around. So to kind of cover the whole trip, you know, I flew out from Gardner, Kansas, had a connecting flight in D.C., landed up in Boston, and drove down to Attleboro, where the actual event took place. Um, first of all, I will say a Kansas boy such as myself, I had absolutely no right to rent a car and drive through Boston, having never been there before. Um, it was an adventure before my adventure even began, so to speak. I, it was, wow. So <laughs> between, between the traffic there and the lack of street signs, I'm lucky to have even made it home. I'll put it that way. But they, they did a great job planning our trip out for us. Um, Friday after we landed, they had a uh, private tour set up for the uh, Grand Lodge of Massachusetts. Um, I went through that with Brother John Ruark and uh, Brother R.J. Johnson. Um, got to do the private tour, and that was actually led by Brother Walter Hunt, who is the Grand Historian for the state of Massachusetts. Uh, this guy is another just treasure trove of information of Masonic historical facts, not only of just in Massachusetts, but Freemasonry as a whole. Um, so we went through this entire building. He kind of gave us the behind the scenes tour, which was awesome. I mean, so much information there. Um, there was this one room that stood out. I'm just kind of, you know, quickly skimming over some of this because I know this episode's getting uh, on the long side to begin with. Um, but we went in this one room, huge room, right? And it looked like very elegant wallpaper all throughout, up in the balcony and everything. Brother Walter pointed out to us when we got up on it, it's not wallpaper. It is hand-painted. I mean, the precision in some of these lines, it just, my mind was blown to see that this entire room was hand-painted. I mean, the expertise, the dedication, the craftsmanship that went into this, and it just reeked of that over this entire building. I mean, so much dedication and pride and craftsmanship everywhere you look. I mean, nothing was skipped over. Nothing was half-assed, you know, pardon my language, but it wasn't. It was very amazing, very elegant, and just so much history in these rooms, these halls that we walked down. It was, it was amazing to be there and to have Walter lead that tour. I mean, I, I could ask for nothing more. So we got to go through the entire Grand Lodge and see all those sites. Um, kind of ended the tour in the Grand Library, which is Brother Walter's playground, so to speak. I mean, this is where his passion is. All the research and work that he's done, everything that he's preserved is just really crammed in this room. And he has stories behind all of it. It was just amazing. So within that, he set us down at a computer and he's going through this website. It's a wiki style, or wiki, wiki style site that he had created. He actually spent over eight years putting this site together. It's called Masonic Genealogy. And I urge you guys to check it out. We'll have a link down below for you to see it. But like I said, he spent eight years putting this together 
and he needs more information. He wants it to be huge. He wants it to uh, not be just an asset to the state of Massachusetts, but worldwide. So I'm on my grand lodge about getting information out to him, and I hope you will as well. Spend some time going through this website, and I'm sure you'll be sending an email five minutes later to your grand lodge saying, we need to be a part of this, because it's amazing. And it's, it's not something that he's doing for his own benefit, but to benefit the entire craft as a whole. I mean, it's there's just not enough words to put behind it to really explain how amazing this is. I mean, there's so much information there and it's searchable. I mean, with this, you don't have to go flipping through these old books and try to line by line and decipher it's once the information's in there, you can keyword search it and find what you need in a split second. He's telling me these stories about how, uh, you know, people will bring a photograph and he's able to take, you know, they not know anything about it, but he's able to take a few details from that photograph, do a couple quick searches, and in three minutes, he's able to tell them everything about that event, when it was, where it was, who was there, you know, what the purpose of it was, because he's got this information in his database and it's searchable. I mean, that's, in today's day and age, that's where we need to be. And sadly, we're not in so many cases, but Walter's providing us a platform to get there. And he's done so much of the work already. So let's lend them our hand, man. Let's let's jump in on this, get our Grand Lodges on board, and let's make this a, uh, a beneficial thing for Freemasonry as a whole worldwide because it can easily do that. It, all, it already is in so many instances of the case. So then the second epic thing that happened there, um, I'm kind of looking around the Grand Library, and I see, you know, he's got all these artifacts laying around. Well, I'm looking at this one. It's an old Master Mason certificate from, like, late 1700s, and it's got a lock of hair hooked to it. So I asked him, like, is that real? What is this? And he's explaining, you know, yeah, back in the time, it was kind of a tradition. Um, your hair meant so much to you as like giving a part of yourself or, you know, uh, kind of putting out there that you're giving this level of yourself or commitment to the craft when you join. Um, so it was a very meaningful um, deal to place a lock of hair on there. And he asked me if I wanted to see something even cooler. So, of course, I'm not going to turn that down. Cracks open a textbook and he's showing me um, a historical urn. And he said this was made by Paul Revere, and it encapsulates a lock of George Washington's hair. Well, of course, I want to know where this thing is. Uh, he says it's in there safe, it's locked tight, uh, it's very seldomly ever seen. Um, I think he said they only bring it out to show grandmasters when they're being put into office. So, obviously, I had a look of disappointment on my face. Well, kind of, you know, rumbling through some other items and stuff, another guy comes in and I kind of hear Walter whispering a little bit, is there, is there any way we could take that out just for a couple minutes? We got these guys in visiting from out of town. And I'm like, you know, my attention sparks. I see John Ruark's attention spark. And next thing I know, they are bringing in the urn. Wow. I never even knew this thing existed. So I'm going to put some pictures in here because obviously uh, it's just, you, you got to see this. This urn, like I said, was handcrafted by Paul Revere. And it has uh, some uh, engravings on the side telling the dates and everything. Um, the top of it actually pops off and encapsulated in a little piece of glass there, you will see is a lock of brother George Washington's hair. Now, my mind was blown. I mean, I was, I was speechless at this point. I never even knew this existed. And here I was in the presence of one of the greatest Masonic relics. I mean, wow. I mean, maybe it's not the greatest Masonic relic ever, but to me, it just meant the world. I'm like, holy cow, especially here in the United States, 
you think of you know famous Masonic figures. George Washington is in pretty much every Masonic lodge you go to. Um, just a huge name, not only in Freemasonry, but he was our first president here in the United States. So, I mean, this guy has meaning on so many levels, just a huge figure. And to be standing within a foot of his hair, I, it sounds kind of creepy now that I'm saying it on the show here, but it was pretty mind-blowing. I mean, holy cow, this hair was from the 1700s and still looks like hair. It was amazing. Blew me away. So they actually uh, let me take a picture holding it. Uh, I was very grateful for that. But it, it, it was an epic event. I mean, I, I never even saw that coming. Just totally hit me from left field and really just kind of kind of made the day for me during the, during the Grand Lodge tour there. So starting Saturday morning, we got to go out. Well, actually, let's skip back to Friday night. Um, they had a media night at Ezekiel Bates Lodge. So traveled out there. And, of course, I was that guy got there all by myself, went up to open the front door, and it's chained shut. Well, then I can't get the door shut, so I'm standing out there looking like I'm robbing the place. Finally get the door shut and make it down the steps, and the master of the lodge, you could hear the chains rattling. He's like, what are you doing? Nobody ever comes through the front door. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. So <laughs> he said, don't worry about it. Tomorrow these doors will be wide open, but usually the members, we always use a side door. Like, all right, cool. So get in. They had a media night for us. Um, I was lucky enough to get in there and meet all the guys. I actually did an interview. Well, no, I'm sorry. I got interviewed by Brother Greg Kaminsky, who was on the show today. First time I'd ever been interviewed. So that was uh, a little intimidating. I, I, I won't lie. It was different being on the other side of it, right? Uh, instead of asking the questions, getting asked the questions and trying to come up with uh, um, half-educated answers in a small amount of time. Um, it's kind of a fearful act. You know, never doing that before, but it was a pleasure um, being able to sit down with Brother Kaminsky and uh, kind of do that for him and be on his show. I mean, I, I never saw that coming, so it was an honor. Um, and then with that, the uh, Ezekiel Bates Lodge themselves, man, they went all out. They had a film crew, like a professional film crew there, and they were doing interviews of all the speakers and guests and stuff. Well, you know, uh, invited guests, and they had me go on there and kind of talk about my show and everything and um, interviewed me. So that was that was another uh, kind of uh, intimidating experience. Now I got professional lights and cameras in my face and stuff. I mean, it's a totally different experience from this sitting at home with the webcam. Um, it was like I was on a TV show. So intimidating. I, I, I hope I don't look like a complete fool when they get that edited and released. But an amazing experience. So Saturday morning, the, uh, the event ran from pretty much 9 to... I don't, I don't know. We left there about 6.30, but I know they had uh, a couple degrees going on after that. But from 9 a.m. to about 6.30, they had lectures almost nonstop. Um, just so much light and knowledge going on within that. Uh, it's, I think it's a five-story building. They had vendors on every single floor. Um, so just so much to buy, um, so much to see, so much knowledge to obtain. Uh, it's like nothing else I've been to, nothing else I've seen. Um, just a unique experience and totally you know, hands down to Ezekiel Base Lodge, you guys did an amazing job. And it was a free event. Like, how does it get better than that? They, they're not trying to make money off it. They're just offering it to you. Like, guys, come and get light. Here it is. So it, it doesn't get better than that. Definitely going to be back next year. Um, just an epic experience all around. So really enjoyed it. Want to give them huge props. Um, I do apologize. I'm kind of skimming through this because I know this episode is getting on the rather long side to begin with. Um, but man, 
Masonicon 2017. It was it was very very good. I recommend it to anybody if you can make it out next year. Spend the money, make the travels. You won't uh, regret it. Obviously, it's a it's, it's a huge experience to partake in. Um, so I will be there next year. I've already talked to my wife. We actually talked about making it a a family vacation um, because you know it is an open thing. I don't know that you know my family would so much enjoy. The Masonic events, but if uh, we go out there for a week, we can do some other sightseeing. Maybe take a day in D.C. there and see some of the Masonic uh, treasures they have to offer. And uh, you know, I can break away from the Masonic parts, but make it a family deal because I know it was rather rough on my daughters. Uh, me leaving for a couple days this year, but it was a great event, man. I I really loved it, and I'm looking forward to next year. Um, biggest thing that I, I thought was so awesome out there is meeting all of you guys, man. It it really uh, it caught me off guard. You know, I'm still the new guy in the circuit, and I'm just walking through the room, and I say, Brother Alex, what? All these guys recognizing me, wanting to get pictures with me and stuff. It was it was a surreal experience, but, you know, some of these faces I've seen on Facebook and stuff, it was so awesome to actually get to sit down and have a conversation with you guys, shake your hands, and get to know you on a one-on-one -on -one level. So thank you guys so much for reaching out and coming and having that conversation with me. Uh, it really meant the world. It, it made my trip that much better. So with that said, guys, I'm going to start wrapping up for tonight. Um, we are going to do our, uh, our video presentation of another brother of why he joined Freemason, why he became a Freemason. And within that, I do want to say, guys, this is the last video I have on my stock. So if you guys enjoy this segment of the show, I need more. Um, so if you guys have not sent in your video yet, do so, man. Just take out your, uh, your cell phone, your webcam, whatever you got to do. And I just want you to answer the simple question of why did you join Freemasonry? And like I said before, it's it's opened up to uh, appendant bodies such as you know Eastern Star, um, the youth bodies, uh, Joby's, Rainbow Girls, Demole. Um, really haven't received anything in from any of those, but it is open. We want to know why you guys joined. Why did you choose this Masonic realm to uh, jump into? Um, so please, if you want to send those videos in, we'll keep it going as long as possible. Otherwise, tonight might be our last night that we hear from a brother. So let's jump over from that and hear why this brother decided to make the leap and join Freemasonry. Let's take a look. Uh, I am first and foremost. My name is Taylor William Thurman. Um, I was, uh, I came into Freemasonry through a really kind of, it's like a bad topic, but uh, me and my grandpa were discussing one day, you know, what did I want to have of his when he is no longer um, here on earth? And, uh, I was talking with my grandma when my grandpa was in the bathroom and, uh, I said, you know, grandma, one of the things that I really want of his is, um, the ring he always wears on his wedding ring, on his wedding ring finger. And she goes, you want his Masonic ring? I said, yeah. And she goes, well, you're going to have to talk to your dad about that because that, that's kind of a, you can't really wear that. And so, you know, I asked him, and of course, he said, no, you have to be, you, only a Freemason can wear it. Um, so I did my research, and I, you know, everywhere I looked, everyone was like, oh, it's a cult, it's evil, it's, they're, they're planning to overthrow the government and take control of the world and New World Order, Illuminati. And it, 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 it isn't even a part of that. It's, it's something completely separate. It's like way, 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 way down the line. And so, you know, I asked my grandpa and asked my grandpa, and finally he was like, you know what, okay, I'll get you a petition. So I went and uh, petitioned 
and you know they voted they, they came in and interviewed me went through the whole process i was a nervous wreck um come my initiation day um it was sometime in february i'll have to give you the dates later uh, when i was passed initiated and raised um i just remember sitting in my old lodges um mess hall and um I was just freaking out because I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I didn't know what they were going to do to me. I didn't I didn't know. And one of uh, my brothers uh, came by. His name was David Bowling. He said, you're scared, right? I said, yeah. He goes, here. He tosses me a penny. He goes, read, read that damn penny. And he walked in the lodge room. And that, that's when they were, you know, voting on me and stuff like that to take me in. And I got that penny out of my pocket and that it said in, in God we trust you know I, I, at that moment like a wave of like reassurance just came over me and I felt a lot more calmer and you know I went and I was initiated and uh the minute that they said I was accepted as a brother uh I just remember looking over my right shoulder and just seeing my grandpa just had this look on his face that I will never forget like my family knows that he 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 doesn't really show emotion a whole lot, but there was a sparkle in his eye that I think that no one in this entire earth except for me will ever ever get to see, and it was just amazing. And you know, I went through my second degree and my third degree. When I when I made my third degree, my grandpa just had this really amazing look about him. He was just really proud, super proud, and. Um, to give you a little bit more of my background now, now that I've told you how, you know, like my beginnings of it, it was a topic of death. I, I, I guess you could say my origins of Freemasonry were born of the topic of death. My grandpa is still with me. Um, so to talk about my Masonic heritage, um, my grandfather, my grandfather, Daryl Thurman, is a member of Delaware Lodge, number 96, of Kansas City, Kansas. It used to be off of Parallel Parkway. We are now affiliated with we're not fully consolidated, but we are affiliated with Wyandotte 3. We are taking refuge with Wyandotte 3 up Leavenworth Road in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, my grandfather and my uh, sister, or my grandfather, his wife, Nancy Thurman, his, her sister's husband, my grandpa and her, her his, his wife's sister's husband, Daryl Mulder, went in to lodge on the same day um and so they were both part of my it was it was my great uncle my great uncle daryl Mulder. they they went into the same lodge together it's the same day they've been the same lodge double 96 um my grandfather's coached 14 men i'm the very last one he'll ever teach um yeah um i also have two uh cousins twice removed uh, I have Earl Gene Sodders, who is really prominently known in the Masonic community in Kansas, as well as Rick Sodders. Um, they are my second and third cousin twice removed. And I'm really proud that I get to share that history, uh, that legacy. We're four years shy of our 150th uh, anniversary birthday of our lodge. And I, I really hope that we can... Uh, make it there. I think we're going to make it. I have confidence that we're going to make it there. Um, I also have Alan Sneed, my uncle, on my mom's biological side of the family. 
he uh, he's a member of a lodge in Missouri. I don't know. I haven't asked him the name of his lodge, but I just know he is a Missouri Mason as well. And it just makes me really happy that uh, I can share that uh, history, like that that brotherhood there. And I don't think that there's many young men that are my age that can say that I have a grandfather who's also my brother. So to me, that's really special. So getting back to my origins, um, my grandfather did promise me his ring when he passes away. Um, I will also be getting his special Bible that sits in his uh, uh, coffee table. Um, it's already been dedicated to me. Um, when I also went in, his best friend was also a Mason. Um, not, I don't believe he was Mason of Delaware Lodge, but uh, his wife, he passed away not too, a long time ago. Uh, his wife, uh, when she found out that I was becoming a Mason, she asked my grandfather if I had a ring. And he said, no, he's going to get mine when I pass away. And she thought that I it was no mason was fit to have a, without a, have a jewel, so she uh, downed his ring for me, and she gave me my grandfather my grandpa's best friend's almost dropped it <laughs> um, gave me his ring. It's a really pretty ring. I've had it resized. It was a size ten. It is now a seven point five. I've had the stone redone. And the gold has been replaced three times now, so it's the oldest thing I own. It's like 75 years old. I'm very proud of it. I'm really happy to have it. And, you know, I really encourage any young man that wants to, you know, become better and better himself, totally do it. You know, they totally do it. And, uh, you know, it isn't evil like everybody said. I was in a Christian-based kind of like Bible belts at the time that I was getting ready to be initiated, and they were like... Well, you can't be a Freemason without being Christian. You have to be Christian first. I'm like, well, I am Christian. And they're like, well, you got to find ways to tie it. Because that's, you know, they, they sacrifice goats and drink pig's blood. And come to find out that we everything that we do mostly comes out of the Bible. Like, all of our rituals and all that come out of the Bible. So, I mean, to kill that fact, that <laughs> it makes me laugh when I hear people get that way with me. But... You know, it's it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, and, uh, you know, I love learning about it, and I love the lectures and the, the, the teachings and just getting to see all these great men make history and the men that did make Masonic history that are presidents and kings and businessmen and all that. I think it's really great. So um, that's just a little bit about me and my Masonic uh my Masonic uh, history and my how I got into it and uh, just my little take on uh, how I believe that Freemasonry really does help shape a man and a person and be better. So um, this is why I joined Freemasonry and I hope this does make make it some uh, historical light. Uh, so that is my take on it, guys. So I hope you guys have a good day. And I will see you guys later. Bye. All right, brother. So thank you so much for sending in that video reply. We sincerely appreciate it. It was great to hear from you. Um, with that said, guys, like I mentioned before, that is the last video submission we've got in on that question. Um, so if you like this segment of the show and you want to see it continued, maybe you're a missing link. 
Uh, we need more videos. So if you can pop out a camera phone or a webcam, I know that can be an intimidating thing, but if you're able to do that for a 15 to 30 second video of just answering, why did you join? And like I said, that's opened up to affiliate bodies. So Eastern Star, Rainbow, um, Job's Daughters, Demole, you know, we want to know why you joined. And you know, that just might spark a spark something in somebody that's not a member yet that's kind of on the fence of it and been watching the show. Uh, if they're able to relate to the reasons of why you joined, just might give them a reason to make that leap as well. So keep that in mind. Um, otherwise, we'll figure out something else with the little um, bit of time that it's been taken up. But sincerely appreciate you guys hanging around. I know this episode has gone a little bit longer than normal, so I hope it was edifying that you guys took a quality experience away from it. So with that, I will bid you all a farewell. Until next time, we see you here again and continue our quest for historical light. Y'all take care.